This show is sponsored in part by Insynergy for personalized addiction care. At Insynergy, you'll find addiction care that is personalized and evidence-based. They have a comprehensive approach with a wide range of options. If you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, contact Insynergy. For a same-day or next-day consultation, call them at 314-649-STOP. That's 314-649-STOP. Or visit them at InsynergySTL.com. That's Insynergy for personalized addiction care. This is The Medical Beat on 97.1 FM Talk. All right. Good morning. Uh, This is The Medical Beat, 97.1 FM Talk. And I'm your host, Dr. Steve Harvey, and we have with us here today um, co-host and guest, uh, Dr. Art Taka. Good morning, Dr. Taka. Good morning, Dr. Harvey. Good morning. Good morning, Chad. How you doing? Yeah. Good yeah. morning. I'm doing well. Yeah. How, how are you guys doing? Very good. Doing good. Doing good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll have, we'll have Chad in on the conversation too, preferably when it's awkward. Cause that's, cause that amuses <laughs> us. <laughs> and, uh, yes. So we're, we're going to talk about uh, so today. Uh, we're going to talk about some really good topics. We're going to talk about one topic that I think has touched pretty much everybody's life, either either directly or especially indirectly, you know, people we know. And, and that, that topic is addiction. We're going to talk all about addiction and withdrawal. And it turns out there's a substantial amount of science uh, around addiction and withdrawal. And, and I think that uh, medical science has, has advanced to the point where we could be doing a lot better than we are now. And we're going to be talking to one of the people at the forefront of uh, addiction uh, of addictionology, and that's Dr. Art Taka, who's a uh, who is board certified in psychiatry and also board certified in addictionology. So uh, l- let's just jump right into it. And I, I think to start with is uh, is so Art, can you tell us just um, let's just start with the basics. What what is what is addiction? How, how is addiction defined? How do you know it's addiction as opposed to just uh, just overuse or something like that? What sure. what is addiction? Well, what does that really mean? Well, we kind of use addiction kind of loosely in the uh, current vernacular. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm addicted to this. I'm addicted to that. But it really is a biological process, and depending on which definition. You know, the American Society of Addiction Medicine has upgraded and uh, redefined its uh, definition of addiction that includes um, the, the, the behaviors linked to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but basically, it's, it's a complex interaction of brain circuits, genetics, the environment, and the individual's life experiences. Now, people with addiction um, use substances or engage in behaviors that eventually become compulsive and oftentimes um, continue despite the harmful consequences. So, yes. so it does appreciate the, the biological and also the behavioral components of the, of the, of the uh, process. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so is that is that's part of the definition, is the people continue, people continue to do the bad thing even though the bad thing is causing bad things? Yeah, absolutely, because there's a lot of things that we can uh, go 
through life with that, that doesn't have ne negative consequences. So like, for example, your brain needs air. Are we addicted to air? Yeah, we need it. Mm -hmm. And so we, we, we desire air all the time, but yeah. it doesn't, uh, our, our path to, to getting the air doesn't usually result in negative consequences or harmful, harmful effects. Right. So it does have that connotation that once you get the, the, the substance or, or some people get addicted to be, to, to behaviors like gambling, that there's, there's a associated kind of negative consequences or, or bad behavior associated with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it sounds like the definition of, of addiction can be kind of squishy and changeable, but the, but the gist of it is, uh, is kind of dysfunctional use of something or a dysfunctional yeah. behavior that, that people just can't Definitely. stop. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. It leads to disability. And eventually, I mean, you compare it to other chronic medical conditions, you can, um, you can die uh, earlier um, versus people who don't have addiction. Just like you can die earlier from, from a chronic disease like diabetes or high blood pressure. pressure. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess with, uh, with alcohol addiction or alcoholism, what they tend to die about? 10 years sooner? Do I remember that correctly? Is that oh, yeah, right? ab absolutely. Yeah. You, for alcoholism, I don't think that there's a system in the body that's not affected, um, including, you know, every organ system, the heart, the, the, the kidneys, you know, it can cause all sorts of diseases, liver disease, cancer. So it can kill you a number, uh, a number of ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as, so as far as different addictions, I guess the the thing that usually pops into people's mind first is various sorts of substance addictions, but people also use the word addiction to refer to things like gambling and internet or yeah, video games. Absolutely. Or, you know, yeah. Video games and a a absolutely because we don't really consider uh, a drug or a process or behavior addicting unless there's a um, kind of associated uh, euphoria or reward. And that's pretty much promoted by a chemical in your brain called dopamine. Yeah. So we really don't associate uh, technically anything that's addicting that unless it goes through a pathway through the brain, uh, specifically something called the ventral tegmental area and the nucleus accumbens. And when that circuitry is stimulated by a substance or a, or a behavior, yeah. that uh, circuitry gets lit up and tells the, the brain, hey, do that again, because I yeah. like it over and over and over again. Yeah, and then it becomes, you know. Right. Yeah. 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 And I guess, and I guess, especially some substances that are abused, uh, I guess they, uh, they trigger that reward system pretty strongly. Yeah. Most of them, generally speaking again, now there are substances of abuse that don't go to that pathway. Hmm. And technically we don't consider, um, kind of addicting like, uh, something like hallucinogens, like LSD that works through a different pathway in the brain. Hmm. And its main attraction is the novelty. But there's not a lot of evidence that shows that when you use LSD repeatedly, that there is a um, kind of reward that yeah. squirts out a little dopamine, uh -huh. and then your brain becomes kind of uh, desires that over and over again. And I think the attraction to those kind of drugs are, uh, is the 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 the, uh, the experience of of the novelty of being you know uh, in a different state of mind. Ah, okay. So yeah, yeah. it's not technically. Um, higher risk for, you know, the uh, definition of addiction, but it also, those, those drugs could be, you know, misused and abused as well. Yeah. 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 So there's a, so there's quite a bit of overlap between the different substances, but they're, but as far as how they get people addicted, they're, they're different. I, I guess another yeah. part of, yeah, I guess another part of that is that, uh, 
because I know you talk a lot about there's people talk a lot about uh, you know the drive to use the substance and also there's the the uh, the parts of someone's brain that that's able to say ooh I shouldn't do that and it sounds like the ooh I shouldn't do that part of the brain is sometimes impaired in addiction. Oh, absolutely. We we talk and refer about that 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 process. Uh, you we, that that part mm-hmm. you're referring to is what we call the uh, the wizard brain. You know, yeah. the all knowing wizard brain or the yeah. big brain. Yeah. yeah. And then and then the 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 kind of lower lower brain is is what we call the lizard brain. Right. So I like to tell the, the, my, the my clients that come in and and get treated for addiction that you have big brain moments, you have wizard uh-huh. brain moments, and then you have lizard brain moments. Yes. Yeah, so with and addiction, actually, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So with and, addiction, and some, is too too much mm-hmm. lizard brain, not enough wizard brain. Correct. <laughs> yes. Correct. Hey, and there gonna... and there is a dysfunction yes. between the two because we know that a lot of the medications target the lizard brain yeah. and reduces the uh, activity of the limbic system, and that gives the chance for the wizard brain to take over. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, we're going to be back in just a moment. The music is playing. Great. So we're going to head out for a little bit and we're going to talk more about addiction when we return. You're listening to The Medical Beat. Hey, we're back. Uh, this is the Medical Beat 97.1 FM Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Harvey. Uh, our guest today is Dr. Art Taka. We've got Chad hello on there. the board. Yeah, hello. Hi. Hey, and we've been having a really good talk this morning about addiction. Uh, we've talked about how addiction is defined and sort of the sort of the basics of the science behind addiction. I guess as Dr. Taka described, a lot of the addiction is, uh, I guess, this it's not really the official term, but uh, uh, more lizard brain, like wanting wanting to do stuff or wanting to do the uh, wanting wanting to do the thing you shouldn't do, and less wizard brain. So, can you kind of go over that again, Doctor Taka? To explain sure, again, sure. Because my 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 so, explanation was falling flat there. So, wizard brain, lizard brain. Tell us about that again. So, so the wizard brain is what we uh, refer to as the the big brain, the mm-hmm. big cortex. That's why. Uh, humans have evolved to be the uh, superior organism here on Earth because yeah. we got a big, big brain. So we got superior a big wizard su- brain. Superior is debatable We're... at times, but okay. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that may be a watch, topic watch. for another show. You haven't watched the news recently, have you? Yeah. Oh my goodness! Talk about <laughs> lizard brain stuff. Right. Now, uh, uh, now the lizard brain is really a part of the brain that's the uh, more ancient kind of the brain, and we mm-hmm. refer it to, to as, as the. Uh, the the limbic system, the deeper parts of the brain. Yeah. This includes the hypothalamus, the 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 amygdala, and that really um, controls emotions and rewards. Yeah. So they they actually talk to each other and they make sense of the environment. They make sense of life. Mm-hmm. So the lizard brain goes, hey, time to eat or time to you know we're we're kind of programmed to to pass on our genes. So we have to be social. We have to have sexual relations. We got to think do things to remind the big brain that we have to survive. Yeah. Now, if a drug controls the lizard brain, it gets hijacked and says, hey, we need this drug to survive. And it kind of trumps the, the big brain. And that's why you see the behaviors follow it. When the lizard brain is in control and is only um, um, interested in pleasure and reward, you kind of do things that are not big brain uh, behaviors. Right. So when, when we approach the treatment 
you know, for the, the treatment approach for addiction involves both uh, uh, giving back the big brain, mm -hmm. giving the big brain, uh, you know, ability to, to uh, flex its muscles again and reduce the activity on the lizard brain. And many of the medications really target uh, areas of the limbic system. And oh, of yeah. course, um, it's so important to do therapy and that's what the big brain responds to. So a combination of therapy and yeah. medication is usually the most effective way to treat addictions. Yeah, yeah. So, so a lot of treating addiction is to try to try to decrease that urge to use the substance and to increase the increase the parts of someone's mind that uh, that is holding back or that wants to wants to do the smart thing. Correct. It's kind of yeah. hijacked by the immature part of the brain. Yeah, yeah. Because I because I see you know because we uh, you know in practice we think we see you know people who you know, they're, they're dying of liver failure from alcohol and yet they're still pulling out that six pack and slugging it down, you know? That's so true. That's, that's, that's true. That's the lizard brain going, it's okay. Don't worry. It's going to get better. You know, your doctors have helped you in the past. They, it, right. it creates what we see as defense mechanisms. You know, we see it as behavior, but really it's the lizard yeah. brain kind yeah. of controlling the situation. Yeah. Or the lizard. Yeah. Or the lizard brain telling people, oh, you know, it's just, just one more six pack and it'll be okay or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, and I guess I, I get cut off. Oh, are you there? Yep. I'm here now. Oh, good, good. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Hey, so how about, um, I, I guess another part of addiction that I, that I thought we should talk about is, uh, is withdrawal. Cause a lot of times in a substance, of course, but for a lot of substances, when people stop using, they, they experience uh, withdrawal. Uh, can you, and, and I know that's a, it's a, it's a large topic and it's different for different substances, but can you tell us about withdrawal? What, what is withdrawal like and how sure. does that, how does that affect the experience of someone suffering from addiction? Sure, sure. So withdrawal, generally speaking, again, and depending on the substance, is a condition where when the brain is exposed to a substance uh, for a long period of time, there's, we uh, assume that there's brain changes. And when you pull away that substance, the brain kind of freaks out yeah. and it freaks out in different ways, depending on what they're addicted to or dependent to. And so again, the central nervous system, um, uh, shows that it's not, not very happy by, by, uh, showing some of these, including high heart rate, sweating, anxiety, nausea, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, GI symptoms, muscle pain. So it's like the whole body is kind of freaking out. Yes. And why this is important is because in some instances, withdrawal can be very, very dangerous and can, uh, uh, you can have a high risk of, of dying from a withdrawal, specifically alcohol or benzodiazepines. So it's very, very important to, uh, to uh, identify people going through withdrawal and treating it um, as opposed to something like opiates. Opiates, there's a, there's a, there's a significant withdrawal syndrome in that. Yeah. Typically not as dangerous. Mm -hmm. Um, but certainly the withdrawal, the feeling of withdrawal is the primary, um, promoter of relapse because when you're going through withdrawal, the easiest way to get rid of that withdrawal is re-exposing the brain to the chemical that's deficient. Right. So there, there's that, that cycle of, you know, the desire to use and the cycle of addiction. It's yeah. the biggest promoter to yeah. relapse. So, so for opiates and a lot of other substances, the the withdrawal is not really dangerous, but it is the thing that make is one of the things that makes people keep on using, or it makes it a whole lot harder to quit. 
That's true. That's true. And I, with, with, with that being said, not being that dangerous in some uh, conditions, if people have pre-existing conditions, oh. heart disease, um, you know, the, uh, you, the sometimes can lead to, mm -hmm. to a death because of severe dehydration or arrhythmias. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, what we fear is the, you know, the seizure that uh, sometimes we see when people are withdrawing from yeah. like alcohol or benzodiazepines. Yeah. yeah. But, and, and, and cigarettes, I guess. But if you cigarette. see somebody going through withdrawal with opiates, it really looks like it's, oh, and, and even coffee. Oh, right. Right. Caffeine. Yes. Yeah. You know, um, the caffeine when, yeah, you can have, there's a, that's a diagnosis. You can have caffeine intoxication, caffeine withdrawal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess cigarettes also, because nicotine withdrawal usually kicks in, uh, what, like a couple hours after the last cigarette or something like that? Uh, well, it's in between cigarettes. So <laughs> right. the reason why I think uh, the the manufacturers um, uh, settled on 20, 20 cigarettes uh -huh. because that's uh, how much somebody could could smoke in a day um, to to keep from uh, going through withdrawal all day long. So you know uh. you can uh, a typical person addicted to nicotine could finish a pack of cigarettes in a day, right. um, enjoying the effects of nicotine with, uh -huh. without going through withdrawal. And if you talk to a lot of people uh, struggling with nicotine addiction, the best cigarette of the day mm -hmm. is the morning because right. they wake up in withdrawal. Ah, uh, and they need that morning cigarette. They need so, it. That's true. So, yep. so, so that's how yeah, it ends up being about 20 cigarettes in a pack because each one lasts a little less than an hour, I guess. Yeah. Real yeah. Fun. The, uh, the effects of nicotine is instant, uh, receptors, uh, are upregulated almost, you know, within, you know, five to 10 minutes. And those receptors get kind of uh, cranky if they don't get uh, stimulated um, during that period. Right. Well, that's well, that's just evil that it's designed that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, the nicotine companies have been previously described that in the past. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be. So I guess to uh, just overall, do substances have to cause withdrawal in order to be described as addictive or? I guess we can still use the word addictive, even if they're even if they don't cause withdrawal. Because I guess hallucinogens yeah. are not don't have withdrawal, do do they? I'm sorry. I'm I, sorry. I guess some things do not have withdrawal that are still addictive, like hallucinogens, for example. That that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, hallucinogens kind of its own story, uh, and they can pop up, and you can have this persisting uh, effect even without the uh, the drug that can that can show up after a week or two or sometimes years. It can just uh, persist and kind of like pop up out of nowhere and go. You can have another trippy experience. Uh, that's but that's its own story. Right. But yeah, generally speaking, um, you, the, the withdrawal really is the primary primary promoter of, of relapse and addiction. And we see that the most powerful um, addictive substances have a, 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 a component of withdrawal. Yeah. And um, again, the definition of addiction, depending on what you what you what you read mm -hmm. sometimes we can experience withdrawal in in a situation where you're not addicted and you're using a medication appropriately uh for example if you're using pain medicines for about uh you know as less as two uh two weeks after a surgery you know you're using it appropriately you're not you're mm -hmm. not uh, addicted to it you're using it as prescribed and then when mm -hmm. you stop you can have withdrawal symptoms and we see that quite often oh yeah yeah. Uh, so I guess so. In the big picture for treating for treating addiction, 
like you said before, you need uh, to uh, turn down the lizard brain, turn up the wizard brain, and also to manage withdrawal. Uh, we only have about a minute left before commercial break, but can you tell us a little more about uh, about how treatment works, about how you handle those three things? Yeah, a- yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Th- depending on the on the drug, mm-hmm. um, sometimes you you have to uh, address the withdrawal with other medications to prevent a, a a bad event like a seizure. So, alcohol you have to use medications that replace uh, the alcohol. Now, in opiates, it may be um, a number of medications that we use kind of off-label to manage the symptoms. But now we've, we've got actually three things that are indicated specifically by the FDA to manage opiate withdrawal, one being a medication, and uh, the two other um, uh, choices are actually devices, electronic devices that, that the FDA has, has approved mm-hmm. to manage uh, opiate withdrawal. Yeah, and that's and that's really exciting. We're definitely going to talk about that when we come back. So uh, yeah, okay. So so medications for withdrawal and uh, devices for withdrawal, which we're going to talk about soon, and uh, and I guess also just kind of some hand holding and reassurance, probably too, huh? Absolutely, that never hurts. Yeah. All right. Hey, we're going to be back in just a moment, and we're going to be talking more about addiction and withdrawal. Be right back. Listening to the Medical Beat. All right. Hey, we're back. Uh, this is the Medical Beat 97.1 FM Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Harvey. We have with us today uh, co host and guest, uh, Dr. Art Taka, who is a board certified psychiatrist and addictionologist. And we've been talking about addiction and uh, and withdrawal, and the parts we've gone over so far is the the science of uh, uh, the science of addiction, which involves uh, what Dr. Taka calls liz- the lizard brain and the wizard brain. And I was just curious, did you make that up, or is that <laughs> is that a thing? Actually, I I, I kind of well, we yeah. we heard about lizard brain. I just added yeah. the wizard brain. So okay, all right, yeah. So you so you, you can take of credit. patenting it, isn't it, or trademark trademark. That. Yeah, you can trademark that. Yes, okay. So, yeah. so lizard brain and wizard brain with trademark, and uh, and also the importance of paying attention to withdrawal uh, when trying to help people with addiction problems, because I guess withdrawal is one of the main one of the main drivers of relapse. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about withdrawal. Uh, can you can you kind of uh, tell us some more about? Uh, it sounds like there are medications. Uh, talk therapy, and also devices. Let's talk about the uh, medications and talking first. How, what are some things that we can do uh, as physicians to help people through withdrawal uh, when helping them with addiction problems? Yeah, I, I think historically we, we, we never really looked out for withdrawal or symptoms of withdrawal un- until you know our patients came to us in crisis. Yeah. But I think there's a change where we're looking, um, you know, we're asking um to if, if patients are struggling with in between your doses of medications or feeling worse, there's a term in, in addiction called pseudo addiction, wherein it looks like the person is drug seeking, but actually their 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 pain is not under control, and they're or maybe going through withdrawal in be, in between oh. uh, doses, and the behavior looks 
sim similar to like drug seeking behavior. They're asking for more or, mm. or, um, or they're using more uh, in between doses. So we're, we're, we're kind of uh, approaching it as more more of a kind of symptom. Mm -hmm. um, so we're, we, we're asking people, hey, do you, you know, we're having more discussions with our patients because certainly we don't want patients going onto the streets and, and uh, uh, managing their own withdrawal. Right, with, you know, which they often doctor, do. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we have to be a little bit more aware that the, the withdrawal exists in certain conditions. Uh, medications are usually very, very help, helpful in uh, mitigating the symptoms of withdrawal. Uh, again, we, um, we're talking about uh, some of the new FDA-approved uh, medications. There's one medication uh, called Lucimira, lafoxidine, mm -hmm. which uh, was, FD, was granted FDA approval a couple of years ago, specifically for the mitigation of symptoms of opiate withdrawal uh -huh. to help people get off opiates when they're going through withdrawal, and it's uh -huh. been very, very helpful. Um, and even before that, even before the, the um, approval of that medication, one device called the NSS2 bridge mm -hmm. was uh, approved by the, the FDA uh, for the mitigation of opiate withdrawal, yes. and that uh, had a big splash in the whole medical and uh, addiction community because we yeah. had never had a medication uh, let alone a device um, right. approved for that space. Right. So, so first device FDA approved for withdrawal, and don't uh, don't be modest. Who who is it who developed that device, Doctor Taka? <laughs> well, a team team of us here researched it uh, based on some pre existing uh, devices that we were we were uh, looking at and uh, treating actually pain. Yeah. And we Doctor Taka's being modest. That, it's his device. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, the, you're so humble, Doctor Taka. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you, thank you. You're welcome. Um, the the uh, <laughs> the the idea was there's a significant significant amount of pain secondary yeah. to opiate withdrawal. Yes. We found that these uh, cranial stimulators were helpful in uh, a, a wide spectrum of pain, mm -hmm. and we theorized that it would would have similar similar effects to the pain uh, associated with opiate withdrawal. And to our surprise. Not only did it help mitigate the pain, but it helped mitigate lots of other other symptoms associated with opiate withdrawal. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. And can can you can you describe this device? It's because I because I've seen it, but can yeah. you, can you describe it so people on the radio can hear it? It's a it's this thing kind of right behind their ear, right? Do, yeah, yeah. So yeah. the battery pack, um, the, the the chip, uh -huh. is uh, uh, kind of stuck on behind the ear, like it looks like a hearing aid, and out of those. Those those generators uh, typically there's about f f depending on the device uh, maker uh, four uh, leads um, that that get implanted around the the ear and your your uh, side of your face. Yeah. And the reason why we do that is we are stimulating cranial nerves that are um, that are you know there's a rich supply of cranial nerves in that area. Mm -hmm. And the biggest cranial nerve we're interested in is something called the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve is a pretty popular um, nerve um, in psychiatry and neurology because yeah. we've used vagus nerve stimulators for, for seizures and uh, for depression. There yeah. are vagus nerve stimulators that are FDA approved specifically for seizures and, and depression. Yeah, a, a lot but, of things uh, that target the vagus nerve, yeah. Right, right. But uh, previously, the only way we could target it is right through the neck. So, you know, if you rub your neck and then you, you pass out, that you, you know, that's called a vasovagal kind of uh, event. So you, you, you stimulate the, 
the, the vagus nerve, it's a big trunk of, of nerve fibers that go from the brain all the way down to the gut. Yeah. and the heart and and the you know some other organs it's the longest nerve in the body vagus is uh latin for like uh vagabond so it's like the wandering nerve ah, it's got its yeah so it's got it, it's got its nucleus my, it's my, got my its latin nucleus deficient. in the yeah. uh, in the brain stem and it wanders throughout the body nice. so that's why it's the longest nerve and it's got effects all over the body yeah and yeah. so the theory is um when you stimulate the vagus nerve, you can have some really good effects in the brain mm -hmm. uh, for pain um, recognition, and and also you can it can manage the uh, 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 the functions of, of organs like the gut and the heart and the lungs and things like that. So yeah. when you're going through opiate withdrawal, all that stuff is out of balance, and uh, stimulating the vagus nerve, you you have effect in multiple sites of the body. So what we see is um, you know, all those areas that are kind of going, that are freaking out during opiate withdrawal kind of improve. And it's yeah, particular, yeah. It, it's specifically due to stimulating that vagus nerve. Yeah. And, and it turned out, it sounds like it turned out that, that using that, that stimulator gizmo, uh, has been helping people with opiate withdrawal, uh, really more than anyone expected. Is that fair to say that it worked better than, uh, better than you thought it was going to work? Better than I well, thought it was going to work. Yeah, well, when yeah, when we saw it, we office. saw tremendous yeah. improvement uh, yeah. within 30 minutes. And uh, we thought, wow, my God, that was that was just a, a remarkable uh, effect. But yeah. uh, some people kind of see that and they're like, oh, my gosh, that's a that's a that's we that's a cure for for addiction. That's a cure for for withdrawal. And it is not right. You not know, right. that that what we 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 can see is uh, within a 30 minute uh, time frame, we can mitigate the symptoms, but the withdrawal is not, it doesn't end there. It, it, you know, goes on for several days. So people don't realize that that's just the start of the whole process of detox. So there is like, you know, um, five to seven day process where the, the device is on and you, you may still be, you know, pretty ambitious with giving comfort meds during this period, because, you know, the, uh, the symptoms may be, you know, maybe increasing during these, this period. Yeah. So um, it, it definitely is part of a protocol, but it's pretty, uh, yeah. uh, pretty uh, uh, interesting when, you, when yeah. you have somebody in, in terrible, terrible pain. And uh, when they leave your office, they're much more comfortable. They're doing way but, better. Uh, yeah. 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 Way better. Yeah. But that's just the, the tip of the iceberg in the whole the whole process of detox. And detox is not is not treatment. Right. So people think I just want to get detox and I'm done. Well, that's not that's oh, not yeah. as, it's not as easy as that. But it's, it's just, oftentimes the first step and getting people into the clinic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an important first step to get them through. So, so yes. someone, yeah, so someone who is addicted to opioids such as heroin or whatever they're addicted to, um, mm -hmm. when they're withdrawing, they can wear this device. I guess one of them is called the bridge device. I know there's another one. We'll talk about that soon. But it's called the bridge device, which is a gizmo on their ear with little wires going into their ear, I guess, into the outside part of their ear. That's, that's true. Yeah. 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 The, the, their implants are small little uh, microscopic uh, one to two millimeter needles that deliver low frequency uh, electricity, just enough to stimulate cranial nerves that are, that are uh, planted around the, the face and the ear. Yeah. So, so people can feel that electrical stimulation, but it, it turns out to have a huge effect on opiate withdrawal. 
Definitely, definitely. It can feel a little um, tingling. Um, some people describe it as a zap, but it's not supposed to be painful. It's not supposed to be, you know, um, uh, uncomfortable, but they do feel a little kind of sensation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's, uh, which is, uh, which sounds like a huge step forward as far as uh, at least beginning people, uh, you know, on the road toward recovery from, uh, from their addiction to opioids. Absolutely. I mean, there was a survey that uh, came out, a report that said, what was the number one um, promoter of, of the reason why people would relapse? And by far, number one was the pain associated with withdrawal. Oh, so yeah. people who are on uh, pain pills, um, uh, 80% of people that you were using heroin started with an addiction to pain pills. So pain pills is the, really still a, a huge problem. But the interesting thing is in the last year, year and a half, maybe uh, two years, it's hard to get heroin now. And what's out in the street is fentanyl. fentanyl. So you hear all these these fentanyl overdoses, and that's oh. it's uh, it's cheaper, much more powerful than oh. heroin. Just keeps on changing. And so there, there's yeah. the bridge device, and what was the other one? The something the Genesis? ST Genesis. ST Genesis, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a brand new uh, device that was FDA cleared for the same purpose by a company called Speranza Therapeutics. And you guys have those at uh, at in Synergy. Yes, we do. Yes, all right. Only at in only at in Synergy. Yes, yes. All right. Hey, we're going to be back in just a little bit. We're going to talk about uh, a little more about addiction and we're going to talk about the new scientific way of knowing how old your dog is in human years or how old a human is in dog years. Either way, we'll be back. Listening to the Medical Beat. All right, we're back. I like that little jingle that you guys made for me for the Medical Beat. I I, I will never get tired of that. But we're back. Uh, we're back, and we've been talking to uh, Dr. Art Taka, uh, board certified in psychiatry and addictionology, and he's the medical director of In Synergy rehab. In Synergy is uh, basically I-N and the word Synergy. And uh, you can find them on the internet at insynergy.com. I guess if you have trouble finding it, you can, what, I guess just check Dr. Taka, T-A-C-A, and uh, uh, drug and alcohol rehab or something like that. So you can can use Google to find it also. Uh, But we've been talking about addiction and we've been talking about withdrawal. Uh, we've been talking about uh, the science behind that, the lizard brain, the wizard brain, and also uh, all about withdrawal. And I think that the most exciting thing of all, at least to me, is uh, is that there are now actually devices or gadgets that can be used for um, for withdrawal. Can you tell us about those? Tell us what what those are called again, Doctor Taka. Those yeah, are um, the the original device was called the NSS two. Bridge. And uh, the reason why it was uh, called that was it would help people bridge onto another medication called Vivitrol, which is a uh, non-addicting 30-day injection of a medicine called naltrexone. Naltrexone is a opiate blocker. But the problem with naltrexone or Vivitrol, it's very, very difficult to get somebody completely detoxed. Because if you give somebody naltrexone before they're completely opiate-free, they can go through withdrawals. Yes. So you're precipitating withdrawals. The bridge allows them to get 
to a point where they're opiate free in a much more comfortable manner. Yeah. So that was the first device that was uh, um, FDA cleared mm -hmm. back in 2017. And after that, another company called um, Speranza Therapeutics uh, got their device called the ST Genesis uh, cleared for the same um, the same purpose. And they, if you look at them, they, they, they look pretty similar. They have a battery uh, mm -hmm. generator and leads that you implant in and around uh, the ear nice. face area. Nice, nice. So, so you, get, you guys have those devices at Insynergy. And so you've got the devices, you've got Vivitrol, you have you and you have all, all sorts of expert uh, expert help there. So if someone, uh, someone or some, if you or someone you know uh, needs help with addiction problems, uh, definitely check out Insynergy and you can check them out at Insynergy.com. And I, I think they can get a free telephone converse, uh, a free telephone uh, consultation if they need one. Absolutely. There's somebody true? always answering the phone. Uh, it could be a free telephone. You could come into the clinic, but during these, uh, you know, sterile uh, yeah. uh, moments in COVID, we have we do a lot of video consultations, ah. so they don't have to don't have to right. leave uh, their their home. Right. People right. find that very very convenient. Yeah, yeah. So so you guys are still still uh, still operating during the the age of social distancing and everything, but uh, it's a little yes. different. But you're still there. So. Yes, we are. That's that's excellent. All right, all right. Well, that's great information. But hey, uh, what what we want to do now is uh, let's shift gears, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about a different topic, and we're gonna start with a moment of science. Hit it, Chad. And now for a moment of science. Science. Oh yeah, science. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I believe. Time for science. All right. Hey, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the science of, get this, the science of how old is your dog? How old is your dog actually? And so what we're going to talk about is there is the old way to convert dog age to human age. And now, thank goodness, there is a new way to convert dog age to human age. The, the old way to convert the dog age to human age was simply to take the dog's age and multiply it by seven. Have you heard that, Art? You heard? Have you heard people do that? Just multiply the dog's uh, yeah, age that's, by seven? That's the only, yeah. yeah that's the, the only thing I've heard through the... the, the yeah. The, yeah. Well, well, I guess apparently science has advanced since then. So, so uh, wow. yeah. So, so the, you know, a typical life dog span is about 10 to 13 years. Human lifespan averages about 79 years. Uh, a little higher than that if you're outside the U.S., but that's a topic for a different day. And uh, so, so you can multiply by seven, and, uh, and, and that's what people have done. But uh, one thing people have realized all along is that the, the multiplying by seven rule is really not a very good rule. And, and here's an example. Here's an example. So uh, uh, puberty, puberty for a dog is at about six months, you know, about half a year. So if you, yeah, right. So if you convert that to human years, it's it's having puberty at the age of three and a half, right? Ooh. And that doesn't make any sense, you know. And, and there, know. yeah, and there are a lot of other things about that conversion that also uh, that also don't make any sense. So uh, 
So people looked at the data with, uh, you know, different life milestones that dogs have and humans have. And they also looked at the methylation of their DNA because the methyl... It's kind of a long science story behind that. I won't get into the details, but but there's a pattern of, of uh, methyl chemical groups being added to people's DNA and the chromosomes, and and that tends to increase as people get older, and it tends to do so in a way f- from one species to another that's kind of similar, you know? So, so you can really kind of correlate dog's age with equivalent human age in a certain way that lines up pretty well to those milestones. And in doing that, they, they came up with a different formula that's a math formula that's a little too boring for me to read on the radio. But basically, it means that the dog's age is advancing faster early in life and then slower later in life. So that uh, like a six-month-old dog is really like a 12-year-old human. Two-year-old dog is like a 25-year-old human. And a seven-year-old dog is like a, like a 50-year-old human. So that's that's the uh, new way to calculate uh, to calculate dog years. So, so, so Art, do you, do you have dogs, Art? I used to have dogs until yeah. I, uh, you know, my asthma started, uh, oh, you know, out right. of control. Your asthma. We used yeah. to have basset hounds. Basset hounds were a favorite uh, breed oh. of my family. I oh. love basset hounds. With the droopy faces and the big ears. And a lot of saliva, a lot of slobber. <laughs> yeah, they were, right. they were great. Oh, oh, that sounds cute. So, yeah. Oh. Well, so how about you, Chad? Do you have a dog? Yes, I have a toy poodle. I, you have a toy poodle? Yeah. <laughs> I did not peg you for a toy poodle kind well, of guy. It's it's not mine. <laughs> it's, it's not my your... girlfriend's. Uh-huh. Um, but what's hers is mine. <laughs> I guess I guess so. Because <laughs> I have to walk it and feed it and <laughs> clean up poop. Oh, all right. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so so how how old is that toy poodle? He is seven. Seven, yes. seven. So, oh, he okay. He does not act fifty. Let me tell he you. He does not act fifty. No, he acts no? more like a seven-year-old. Does he? Really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because according to this formula, he would be a fifty-year-old. Yeah, no. So he's like older than you by the. So, yeah, so the formula is just not working for this uh, one, huh? Because he begs and he and he whines and he cries. Yeah, it's like a baby. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, there are some fifty-year-olds who still act that way. But... Oh wow. <laughs> but not not a, not a whole lot, I guess. So yeah, all right. But uh, so Steve, I've heard of that before. Yeah. Are you referring to the like the the telomeres on the DNA? You're talking about the methylation because I've heard that before, actually. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, if you, yeah. Right, and I think it's the methylation along. I think it's the DNA itself and also the histones. So it's not it's not just uh-huh. the telomeres. I think it's the his. I think telomeres get shorter and the histones have more methylation. I'll have to look it up because I'm a little rusty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way cool what, what I heard was those telomeres was were, were kind of representative of your wick. So that as the wick burns out, your telomeres shrink right. and that, and you know, your, your clock is ticking. It's like your telomeres are, yeah. are, 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 are shrinking. Yeah, it's like the stopwatch for your life. You know, when you're out of time, there, boop, that's it. Exactly, <laughs> right? exactly. Yeah. Well, <laughs> hey, on that note, on that note, uh, this has been the Medical Beat 97.1. Thank you, Dr. Art Taka from Insynergy. Anytime. And, yeah, and we'll Pleasure. be back next week. Ciao. All right, that went well.